Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com. Hello, and welcome to RIA Edge. My name is Mark Bruno, the Managing Director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa Connect. Very excited to have our special guest here this afternoon, Rob Mooney, the Managing Partner and CEO at Snowden Lane Partners. Rob, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it very much. Nice to be here. You have a very interesting business model. You've been very active since you started the firm, and you have a a really great perspective, especially given your own personal background um, and the backgrounds of many of the individuals who are part of the Snowden Lane management team. Before we get into some of the things that have driven your growth and success since you founded the firm, it'd be great, Rob, if you wouldn't mind, just to give a brief background on the history of Snowden Lane, a little bit of background on the formation as well. Um, and just an update on where you are today in terms of you know, number of advisors and also assets under management. Please. Sure. Um, uh, well, as I said, it's great to be here. And um, I spent uh, 22 years at Merrill Lynch before Snowden Lane, uh, mainly on the legal, regulatory, and risk side of the business. And uh, actually spent 12 years outside the United States uh, with the firm as well. But you may recall... Um, uh, or you may not if, if you're younger, that in the early 2000s, uh, you know, Elliot Spitzer kind of kicked off a series of uncovering of scandals in the, uh, in the wirehouse world. Uh, the initial ones related to research and investment banking, and it went into mutual funds and late trading and market timing and revenue sharing. I was uh, in, in my senior most role at, at Merrill Lynch, I was general counsel for global wealth management for James Gorman, and he was running the business at that time. And I was part of the team that had to constantly defend the firm. And uh, quite simply, I guess I got tired of playing defense. And uh, I also became very disillusioned with the large firm model. And the common theme that I was dealing with on a daily basis that seemed to emerge was really just conflicts of interest with clients. And um, Somewhat ironically, it seemed that every time there was a scandal, somehow there would be a pile of new rules and bureaucracy for uh, financial advisors uh, when financial advisors typically had nothing to do with the uh, origin of the problem. And so, um, you know, the the collapse of Merrill came, uh, which was, uh, I think, sadly caused by a very few people and an abandonment of the principles that had made us a great firm. And the Bank of America merger came and I left uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, I really just was not in a frame of mind where I could stay with a large firm, given my feelings about the the business model. And so in 2011, uh, with a couple of others, we decided to start uh, Snowden Lane Partners and really, uh, you know, try to present a better way. uh, And and that is one of our, our taglines. There is a better way. Uh, for uh, financial advisors. And, you know, we, we um, 
we based the firm uh, and its foundation really on on sort of three pillars. The first one was to be values driven, and uh, ours uh, and we write them down because I was always told if you you know if you believe in that stuff, you write it down, put it on your website. You know our our values are loyalty, partnership, uncompromising standards, and social responsibility. So we want to be a uh, a high tech, cutting edge boutique platform. Uh, with foundational principles, and uh, you know, we do we do try to uh, walk the talk. Um, the second pillar was really to focus on the client. Uh, a lot of people do that, but uh, we wanted to focus on you know what is really ultimately right for the client, and by avoiding conflicts. And we do not uh, take the view that we're conflict free. You hear that sometimes in the RIA space, and I think everyone has conflicts of of one kind or another. But we really do try to limit them. And we talk a lot at Snowden Lane about what we don't do. Um, and uh, that is actually very powerful for advisors. You know, we don't mark up product. We don't have corporate revenue sharing. We don't take payments for shelf space. We don't control advisors' investment process. We don't have proprietary products or proprietary research. We don't have restricted lists because we don't have investment banking. We don't take risk with our balance sheet, you know, no prop trading. We have no business lines outside of wealth management, and we are very uh, streamlined. We have very experienced management, so we don't have to be bureaucratic to make decisions. And we find that's very powerful for advisors. And that's the third pillar of, of the firm, really, is um, focusing on financial advisors. And I remember when we started the firm, there's a lot of focus on uh, what was going on in the product origination and distribution food chain, if you will. And um, there was uh, fee compression, disinterme- disintermediation. And it was clear to us uh, when we founded the firm that, you know, the most valuable component of that food chain was the financial advisor because they were closest to the client and most trusted by the client and that they would be the last, uh, you know, we felt they would be the last to be impacted by fee compression and I think that's proven, uh, proven to be true. I'll just say one other thing about our founding um, that was really important, and, and it, it, it was um, very fortuitous that I uh, reconnected with Lyle Lamoth and Greg Franks uh, early on. Uh, Lyle had run all of U.S. wealth management for Merrill Lynch, and Greg uh, had, had run the Western Division for Lyle. Both of them had started as financial advisors um, in their careers and then worked their way all the way up through the Merrill Lynch hierarchy to very, very senior positions. We um, you know, got to know one another uh, when we were on the executive committee uh, for private client. I had actually met Greg in, in international, but they're both very, very experienced and, and we have very different skill sets, which I think uh, you know, uh, bodes very well for the firm. Um, because we have a lot of experience at different things, and uh, particularly we have a lot of experience around uh, wealth advisory from from both the leadership side, the practitioner side, and the regulatory compliance and risk side. I appreciate the background because it'll put some of the discussion around growth into context. And also for the record, I remember quite clearly the Elliot Spitzer era. It was actually one of the first cover stories I worked on 
Um, and it, it, it's amazing how many people I've talked to actually use that as a, a bit of a you know pivot or uh, an inflection point, right? It highlighted you know conflicts, of course, but more than anything, I think it highlighted the potential for conflicts that got people thinking. Then the financial crisis hits, right? Not too long after that, and obviously you had a lot of people thinking about what would it be like to sort of break away, right, from you know the brand names on Wall Street, do my own thing, and operate more independently. So here we are, you know. 10 years, give or take, after your founding, and you have grown considerably. Um, you have built a great business and a great platform. I'm curious, could you just give our audience a bit of an overview of what your growth strategy has been? Um, obviously, you've been very active you know, acquirers of talent and advisors, uh, but if you wouldn't mind just maybe giving a high-level overview of one, or what your overall strategy is as it relates to growth, and then two, what is an ideal opportunity, whether it's M&A or you know, recruitment of a team, look like for you in Snowden Lane? Sure. Well, I, I, I should have said uh, just our sort of basic metrics. Um, we're $9 billion in client assets, right? We are 12 offices around the country. We have a national footprint. Uh, we have international business. Right now, we have 64 financial advisors all of whom have been recruited from large financial services firms. So we don't uh, play in the RIA M&A game yet. Um, we, we really believe that the, uh, you know, the sweet spot for recruiting right now is the advisors that are coming to the independent space from the, uh, from the, the larger firms. So um, in terms of our growth strategy, um, we, are, we are looking now, you know, short term, we want to cross 10 billion soon, and hopefully that happens uh, before the end of the year or close to it. Um, we then want to get to 20 billion a lot quicker than it took us to get to 10. And we think that we can do that. So our, our goal will be to uh, probably double the number of financial advisors, get to 20 billion. We are looking for attractive uh, additional wealth markets in the United States, of which we think there are many. Um, a, a couple of places where we're not right now, we're not in the Pacific Northwest, so we're, we're looking there. We'll probably end up with something in Boston uh, before too long. Um, so selective wealth markets where we can add uh, significant revenue. We don't, we don't uh, recruit and open offices for sole practitioners, you know, uh, we look to achieve, say, three to five million in revenue in a given location before we'll open uh, an office. Okay, good. That, that's helpful. And I appreciate that. And is there anything, if you were to move away from just the, the quantitative right, criteria, so to speak, um, and you were, look at, you were to look at, you know, some of the characteristics of an ideal you know, team that goes to Snowden Lane, I mean, what are some of the things that you look for whether it's culturally or just stylistically about the way they run their businesses? Sure. Um, well, I think you hit on the first and most important thing. We are, we are very much a teams-based organization. And um, uh, my partners have a, uh, an old school phrase that, you know, every great team has a finder, a minder, and a grinder. So we're looking for that. Uh, to me, that says, you know, you're looking for balance and functionality across different skill sets with, with teams, just as we have at, at our leadership level. But, you know, typically we'd be looking for teams of two, two or more uh, practitioners, probably assets, uh, you know, around 200 million 
trailing 12 production of, of uh, uh, close to two, maybe we, we uh, in terms of clients, um, most of our teams are dealing with high net worth and ultra high net worth uh, clients, some, some uh, higher end affluent. Um, we are very much looking for, uh, and, and I guess first and foremost, people that share values, that have a long-term vision. We, we do not uh, typically uh, recruit people who have moved around to a lot of different firms because we're looking for people that really have a long-term interest in, in working with us and we want to we want to be around for, for quite a while. And so, um, you know, the other thing is we, we do look at, um, uh, look for people who are predominantly uh, fee-based and annuitized in their, in their practice. That, that's good to know. And I like the, the finder, minder, and grinder. I will definitely steal that um, and <laughs> apply it in some instance. I'm not, does that have to be three distinct people or can one person actually be <laughs> all three of those things? You know, I think it's pretty hard to be uh, to be all three of those things. You can be a bit of it, but uh, uh, you know, it's um, it, it does I think characterize the different personality types and the value that they bring to you know to a team. Most of us can uh, relate to that in some way. No, absolutely, I appreciate that. Um, and I'm curious too. I mean, the the movement away from you know the wirehouse and the the sort of captive world it has been in progress for quite some time um and you know before obviously even you know snowden lane was formed um looking at where we are now you know in november of 2021 what's different about you know, the advisors that are going independent um and then part two of that question is what is it that they're looking for from snowden lane you know what is the problem that they want you to solve other than just looking for you know a path to independence Right. Well, clearly, the folks that are that are leaving now, um, are, it, it's more established practices. It you know it, it used to be not that many years ago, uh, you know that the people who really couldn't cut it or didn't want to cut it at at a wirehouse or a large financial firm, you know they, they were the ones that went to independence. Now I think you're seeing because of the economics the. Uh, much larger practices, much more sophisticated practices, people that have been in place for a long time, you know, looking at what's the best opportunity for their, uh, for their, you know, for their next chapter. And so I think that really is the, um, you know, the, the change. It's, uh, it's a lot uh, uh, more established players, I think, looking in the, into the independent space. Sure. And, I can certainly appreciate that, especially as you know the the space has you know become as large as it has. The markets have increased as much, uh, have appreciated as much as they have, um, and the the industry itself has evolved. Um, you did mention, speaking of you know the industry's evolution, that you don't play in the RIA M and A space yet. Um, I won't put you on the spot and ask you to share more than you can, but I am curious, what types of opportunities do you think you know, the RIA RIA M&A world presents to you and Snowden Lane at the moment? Well, I think, I think there's, you know, it's interesting to me when you look at the uh, RIA landscape and um, what we're seeing, I think, is, is uh, concentration, but not necessarily over consolidation. And I think that's largely because the big folks at the top are in acquisition mode, so they're gaining scale. 
However, there are just as many new RIAs being created as are being merged into larger entities. So you still have a, a very diffuse market. And so I think there is, um, you know, there's tremendous opportunity as demonstrated by the pace of M&A. Um, I do think that it's expensive. We, we're able to, uh, on a relative basis, uh, recruit, you know, very high quality uh, breakaway teams uh, at, at better, better pricing, I would say, than uh, is being paid for RIAs. And of course, RIAs, um, you know, everyone comes with a personality and a, and a character, but um, typically RIAs that have been out in the marketplace, uh, you know, they have uh, uh, generally considerable staffing, they have their own culture, they have their own, uh, you know, framework for how they've operated, their own legal entities. And, um, uh, probably more to address than than uh, practices who want to move and really you know we provide that full service uh, experience and platform in an independent space where you get freedom flexibility you get uh, independence uh, ownership um, but you get a full service experience so the people that come to us are are really looking uh, you know they know what they're good at they're good at managing their practice and uh, they don't want to run a firm. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that point of view too. No one has actually brought up. We've had dozens of conversations about the RIA M&A activity levels right now. Obviously, the record levels of activity that we've seen over the last several years now. Um, but that notion that there are almost as many, if not more, RIAs that are being formed in a given year, right, versus you know, compared with those that are being acquired, is an interesting take. And I think you know your second point, just around some of the optionality out there as a business owner and a business leader. There are you know, more options than ever right now, um, so it's not you know just build or buy, right? <laughs> it could be a combination. I think that's a really good point, Mark. Uh, I think that it it really is a question of finding the right home. There are so many different uh, types of places you can go to in the independent space, uh, many of which are very high quality, um, and and it's finding the right uh, the right place that works for the individual. Yeah, I appreciate the perspective too. It'll be interesting to see how things evolve uh, over the next couple of years, you know, at an industry level, and also just as some of the opportunities present themselves to you at Snowden Lane. Um, so shifting gears a bit, just away from the recruiting and M&A discussion, the other side of the growth coin is obviously organic growth. Um, and I am curious, I mean, we try to offer as many practical or best practices or takeaways to our audiences here. I don't know if there's anything in particular over the last year to two that you've observed. Uh, and it's such a unique period um, because the entire industry essentially went virtual overnight back in March of 2020. Um, so the way people have done prospecting, business development, um, even the referral process changed completely. Is there anything, if you were to maybe start at that time period, March 2020, as it relates to you know, client acquisition, marketing, or business development, is there anything that you would highlight has been particularly effective for helping your advisors grow their businesses organically? Well, I think, I think um, the first thing I would note is um, we, were, we were really fortunate uh, seven, maybe eight years ago, we went to the cloud and I literally, the person that took us there had to explain what it was. I, I had no idea what it was at the time. And it turned out to just be a incredibly prescient decision because at the time COVID hit, we were fully remote capable. 
everyone had full setup at home and literally, you know, we didn't go to the office, but we didn't miss a beat. So I think that, um, that will, you know, that was a major plus for us in terms of how we've evolved since then. I think we've, we've seen the benefits of that flexibility and, um, I think that's going to continue. Uh, you know, we, we've just been talking about, uh, you know, January is the new Labor Day for getting back to, you know, what, however you were before. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to go back. I was thinking about what, you know, what do we want to say to our employees? And it's not mandating return to the office. I think it's mandating clarity in terms of the work arrangements of your employees. So what I want to make sure of is that, we know what everybody's doing. There, there will be some people who are 100% in the office. There will be other people that are part office, part home. There will be other people that are, um, you know, uh, entirely remote. And I think that flexibility has demonstrated its effectiveness and will continue. So that's, uh, that's going to be, um, you know, pretty, pretty interesting. Um, in, in terms of the broader observation about what's been going on and, and that, that uh, you know, fosters growth at our firm, to me, I think the first and foremost thing is a broader observation sort of predates COVID, but it's the, the independent environment, I think, fosters growth. And, um, you know, I'll give an, a, a, a silly example of, um, you know, structured notes when advisors were at, you know, one of the firms that they came from, one of the big four, you know, typically they go to go out to a desk to get notes and they're dealing with their death. You know, we, we have access to 14 issuers, uh, some of which include the largest financial organizations, inclu including, say, Goldman and Barclays. You have access to things that you never would have before. So I think that the environment of you know, what I'll call freedom and fee transparency, true open architecture, product availability, uh, uh, fosters growth. And I think there's a reason that uh, the growth rate in the independent space is uh, exceeding what is, you know, my understanding is it's pretty slim in the, in the wirehouse world, one to 2%. You know, yep. we're, we're, uh, we're probably coming in around uh, excluding market, you know, four to five, love to see more than that. But, you know, I think the environment fosters growth. Um, the other thing that's interesting to note is that um, the average, so when we, when we look to hire people, we look at, at their growth record, right? That's what we are interested in. So the people that are, I think, have the confidence to leave the wirehouse uh, are eager they're entrepreneurial, they want to grow, and they're typically younger, and I think they're hungry. And so, you know, they, they, the people that we recruit have a, a stronger tendency to grow. And then, of course, the equity ownership at our firm uh, really promotes collaboration. Um, you know, the, uh, advisors are not competing with one another by any means. They share ideas. We have partners calls. We have marketing sessions. And I have, you know, we have uh, Lyle and Greg who have done this their entire careers uh, on at scale, and and I think it promotes a uh, you know a great degree of uh, rowing in the same direction, collaborating, sharing ideas, uh, and not you know not competing with one another. 
just one question on the uh, January is the new Labor Day note. Um, yeah, is there anything that you think you know, as we move hopefully into a post-COVID world, um, any behaviors, any ways that your advisors have been interacting with clients or prospects that you think we indefinitely take with us into the future? Well, I, I would I would simply say that I think that the uh, you know the the shift to technology in terms of keeping contact with people is here to stay whether it's zooms or you know conferencing or texting or other messaging uh, uh, technology that has been accelerated by a multiple over covid and I think frankly um, Clients are probably easier to get now, you know, when you want to have, a, have a, a video interaction with someone, they're used to it. They understand the connectivity, I think, social media. So I think there's been a great acceleration of, of that. You know, our business uh, is still a referral business, uh, first and foremost. That, that is the predominant way that we gain clients. Um, and and at, at the levels we work at, I think that will stay. But I think that the technology has really accelerated uh, client develop, you know, business development. And uh, you know, we've just been we've been thrilled. Uh, I think this year we added uh, uh, two billion of client assets um, in in the course of uh, of the year and and taking in uh, December of last year as well. Pretty amazing, um, and not just the raw accomplishment in addition of assets, right? But you consider that a lot of that you had to establish enough trust with people that may not have known you, right? That they're willing to say, I want to confide in you as my advisor, even though I've never actually met you face-to-face, right? Which is uh, pretty amazing uh, considering how the business has operated for decades. Um, So congrats uh, to you on the success that you've had. And Rob, thank you very much for taking some time to stop by RA Edge. I think we we covered a lot of ground in a pretty short period of time, but we will have to have you back at some point soon, especially um, to see how things play out in the RA M&A world. Um, it's near and, dear, near and dear to my heart after I spent a little bit of time in that part of the market too. Um, so I'm always you know, interested to see how it evolves, but thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks, Mark. It's been great to be here with you today and uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Rob, for joining us. And thank you to the audience here for joining us on this episode of RA Edge. Hope you found it informative. Hope you found that there were some practical applications for your own business to think about how you can grow, whether it's through M&A or it's through organic growth strategies here. We covered a lot of ground, as I mentioned, but Rob, this is an excellent interview and we hope to have you back very soon. On behalf of the wealthmanagement.com and the Informa Wealth Management Division, I'm Mark Bruno and look forward to having you all back next episode of RIA Edge. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RAI benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business, and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RAI benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com.